where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We are continuing to make our way through the Gospel of Luke. And that's not to say that we're reading every story and every chapter and verse. So because of that, I want to share with you what happens before this morning's reading. It's an indication in the ninth chapter of Luke that not everything always went smoothly when Jesus and the disciples were on the road. In this particular incident, uh, Luke 9, verse 51, speaks about a time when Jesus' disciples were traveling through Samaria, and they stopped at a Samaritan village, and the people there were said to not receive Jesus, which meant that they weren't buying into his message and his mission. And in response to that, the disciples say, "Um, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? In other words, like, should we just smite them and obliterate them somehow for not receiving you? And Jesus doesn't fall for that. He says, no, you know, he rebukes them, actually. It's not the only time that the disciples are rebuked for somehow trying to um, throw him off course, if you will. And so I want you to keep that in mind. Keep in mind that experience in the Samar- at the Samaritan village when you hear this story that for many of you will be familiar. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan while traveling came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, 
brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him when I come back. I will repay you whatever, you, whatever more you spend. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This lawyer who was putting Jesus to the test asked a question that he already knows the answer to. He wants to inherit eternal life, wants to receive eternal life. It's worth noting that eternal life is not a noun. It's not a thing that you can hold on to or a destination. It's a verb. It's a way of life. It's a way of loving, loving God, loving neighbor. So the lawyer may be like some of us wants to know, well, then who's my neighbor? Let's narrow this down. How many block circumference do I have to go from where I live? Define it for me. The neighbor is one who shows mercy. So it's not about the where, but it's the what. Being neighborly, loving neighbor, is about showing mercy. And this, of course, I know, you know, I'm sure you caught it, that the shock of this story is that it was a Samaritan. So for the disciples, it's a place they had just left. And it was a group of people who were seen by the disciples as wrong in their religious beliefs for not receiving Jesus. But Jesus adds another image. And it's this story that contradicts what they might have been holding on to and casts a Samaritan in a positive light. In other words, don't judge the lot by a few. Don't even judge a person by a moment or a people by a moment. The picture is always bigger. But follow the way of this Samaritan. Go and do likewise. Go and offer mercy. In a simplistic way, mercy um, can be seen in two ways, as please help or please stop. It reminds me of a time when um, my brothers and I used to play this game, and who knows how this came to be, but it was a, a way of seeing how many punches in the arm you could endure consecutively. I mean, seriously, who makes this up except for brothers? And the only way out is to say uncle. That's a code word for mercy. And as a matter of distinction, um, let's take a look at compassion and mercy just for a brief moment. 
You know, compassion is a, is a felt experience, an understanding from the inside. I feel for you. Like, wow, that must have really hurt uh, when your brother was hitting you in the arm, especially with his class ring that he was so proud of. So that's compassion. But mercy would step in and say, stop. Stop doing that. Stop harming her. I know it's play, but it's not funny. So mercy takes action. Mercy takes action and is either um, adds an action into something or tries to stop something from continuing. Think of it um, like precipitation on a parched land. The rain fell and offered mercy to a dry land. Or the seemingly relentless cold or winter storms, like, Lord, have mercy, when is this going to stop? There are signs of mercy in our communities. One of them is uh, a rainbow flag. I know when the rainbow flag was first put on our sign, people said, is that really necessary? Do we really have to publicize this? And I have to tell you that it is a sign of mercy to the GLBTQ community. It's a sign that says, you can come here and not have to worry about being harmed. The Black Lives Matter signs and Black Lives Matter banners are a similar sign of mercy. They say to the black community, we see you, we value you, your life matters. We understand the history of a country where your life was seen as less than, where your humanity um, was misused. The city of Longmont expresses mercy when important notices are sent out in English and in Spanish. This was something that was learned during the time of the flood because in the time of the flood, the Spanish notices were slow to come out. They were not immediate and they were a little slow in the time of COVID, but now they seem to be consistent. Keeping in mind that a significant portion of this community here in Longmont um, has Spanish as a first and only language. Communicating important things in that language is an act of mercy. Brian Stevenson, who wrote the book Just Mercy, an attorney who wasn't testing Jesus in this book, but who was testing many of us who read it, in a good way, says this. When you experience mercy, you learn things that are hard to learn otherwise. You see things you can't otherwise see. You hear things you can't otherwise hear. You begin to recognize the humanity that resides in each of us. And I would say not just the humanity that lies within each of us, which is critical, also, the life in all of creation, 
Consider a pollinator garden as a sign of mercy. When have you experienced mercy? When have you been on the receiving end or the offering end of mercy? This morning's story includes the detail that it was a dangerous road that the man who fell into the hands of robbers was traveling. And so some questions that might come up for you and for anyone hearing this story is, if I stop to help, what will happen to me? Maybe the priest and the Levite asked that question and decided the risk was not worth it. If I stop to help, what will happen to me? Another question is, if I do not stop, what will happen to them? I wonder if that's what persuaded the Samaritan to offer help. The rainbow flag on our sign did come at a cost here. It wasn't a dangerous road, but it sure was risky, wasn't it? Not an easy conversation or process. And a significant number of people left the church community. This is where Mary Ludy, who's a seminary professor and a writer and often featured in the UCC Daily Devotionals, asks a third question that I think is even more important than the first two and why I think it empowers and allows communities like this to be courageous. Her question is, if I do not stop to help, what will I become? What will happen to my soul? A very simple definition of mercy is, I'm not okay until you're okay. And this is not an unhealthy codependency or fusion kind of statement. This is an acknowledgement of our interdependency. We are in this world together and we rely on each other regardless of how many barriers we construct or try to maintain. To shut out the cries for mercy to deny our own need for mercy can harm our spirit and our soul. Are there times when you have withheld mercy? Perhaps it is easier to think of it as withholding forgiveness or holding some kind of debt over someone's head. That's why the Jubilee in the Christian tradition is a time of debt relief, of releasing those who are enslaved or imprisoned. It's a way of loving that offers freedom 
I'm not holding anything over you or holding any love from you. Where is mercy needed now? Where are you hearing cries for mercy? The works of mercy range from the very simple to the systemic. I know some friends who take small Ziploc bags, the kind that you need at the airport for your liquids, and they put a granola bar, some phone numbers for help, sometimes a little gift card for a coffee shop. And when they see people at different, uh, different traffic lights or shopping centers who are asking for help with their cardboard signs for mercy, they just hand them that bag with, a, with some kind of beverage. It's very simple, but it's a way of not ignoring. And if that's something that nags at you, you might want to consider it. We're donating items for the Hour Center. Sometimes the ask is very specific, but always there are items needed. I would imagine there are many people in Texas right now that would enjoy a clean glass of water. There are birdhouses that are popping up all over our campus, being left at the door, being dropped off. A place for the birds to find a home. Delivering meals on wheels, bringing meals to those who are not able to get out and those who cannot support themselves um, by cooking. I saw on Facebook this morning a a friend who posted about her mother. Her mother is 76 years old, and she had a picture of her mother making phone calls to the seniors in the congregation that might be experiencing isolation. Calls of mercy. You could even call it calls of care, but recognize that care is a piece of mercy. Those are the simple ways and important ways of expressing mercy. And there are others. I'm sure some things came to mind for you. But mercy can also fuel or motivate systemic matters too, with actions that fill in the wealth and resource or services gap. The Poor People's Campaign is using their resources and their people power to really try and move forward health care for all and living wages so that people who are working full-time or more can afford housing and food and transportation. Reparations is another one of those systemic matters. And I recently read about a church in Kensington, California, Arlington Community Church, who started a Black Home Ownership Reparations Fund to try and fill in the gap of black wealth that was um, 
impacted by redlining. I mean, there were systems in place that did not allow people of color to own homes or to own homes of value. And so they started this fund, and what that fund does through the, um, through the local town, it would be the equivalent of the community foundation here in Longmont, is they give money, a zero free loan for a down payment. And it only has to be repaid upon the sale or refinancing of the house. So it helps to build home ownership for people of color. Habitat for Humanity right here in this area is trying to intentionally cultivate relationships with communities of color for the same reason, to help build home ownership. And it's not that owning a home is the end all and be all, but it, it does. Um, you know, sometimes as a homeowner, I, I feel like homeownership is overrated, but it's not. That's just a statement of privilege that says that it comes with a lot of responsibility and things that needed, need to be tended to. But home ownership um, builds wealth for a family. And many other things. Our own finance committee uh, opted in to, Colorado, to a Colorado co-purchasing coalition that the entire goal is to support communities that are owned by black, indigenous, and people of color to again fill in the wealth gap, the unfair advantages that were given to some are now trying to be shown to others to advantage, to try to um, fill in that gap. I mean, we're a community that has remarkable resources. Allow your imagination to think of something, and we can fund it. Is there a ministry of mercy that you've been dreaming about? or a way that we might offer relief, or a sign of mercy. I'm guessing you've heard and maybe even seen photos connected to the Perseverance rover that landed on Mars this week. Yes? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's remarkable, actually. Stunning. And that rover is very well named because it didn't happen coincidentally, but rather through a deliberate, well funded, and well orchestrated effort and persistence and perseverance, right? The same can be true for mercy and the works of mercy. The works of mercy are either a priority or they are not. And for a church community, the priority is not optional. Not everybody can be a scientist, but everyone can engage in works of mercy. It's the way of eternal life. Eternal life being the things that last 
So how will mercy come to life through each of us in this community? We know historically how it has, but how will it again? And again, and again. I invite you to be attentive as you walk down the roads, the metaphorical or literal roads of your life, to be attentive to what nudges you, to what calls out to you, Perhaps you're being called to a work of mercy. Or perhaps you're the one that is calling for mercy. It's fascinating that as I was contemplating mercy, I realized that my life has been filled with mercy. And the funny part is that I even worked for the Sisters of Mercy at a high school in New Jersey. It's like I was surrounded by mercy. And I needed it so desperately, like the parched land. So sometimes it's not a particular circumstance, it's just a state of being that unconsciously calls out for mercy. And here's the good news. That mercy is just not ours to offer or to receive. It's an attribute of our God. And the God that created us and sustains us greets us with a loving embrace of mercy.